0: Today's episode is brought to you by Julia E. Hampton CPA PC. Julia and her team have been your trusted sources for local tax preparation, payroll and business services for more than 20 years. You know what you need in 2019, Nick Parker?
1: You need a tax strategy. I do actually. Yeah, you're like self-employed like officially in long term now, so you really actually do need a tax strategy. A,
0: a real live tax strategy. Probably something I should do more often. And you know who you can call to get just such a tax strategy for
1: 2019? Who can I call? You can call Julia Hampton and you can call her today at 816-554-0394. Hello again and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I am Jason Orbury and as always, I am joined by a man who missed me so much while I was on vacation. He almost
0: cried twice. It's Nick Parker, the publisher of Link to Lee Summit. What's up, Nick? It's true. I did almost think about almost crying. Twice. Almost. <laughs> uh, publisher, Link to Lee Summit, which is your
1: source for all the news that you need about this very fine city. And our unofficial sponsor
0: today is The Process. Process. We spend... a, a matter of fact, I think Process was the first subject we ever tackled on this show.
1: That's true. We do talk a lot about uh, the Philadelphia 76ers and their rebuild over the last five or six years. And...
0: Oh, wait. No. Different Process. You know who else makes me cry? Ben Rayo. Ben Rayo. Owner of Bridge Space. Where we're at right now in this studio... He makes me cry. That's true. And he eats blueberry bagels with cream cheese, and it's kind of gross looking. All right.
1: Um, So the process um, that I wanted to talk – I want to brag a little bit on our fine city today. A little good on you? A little good on you. So last night – and I can't get in all the details about the uh, the deal because the application at the planning commission specifically – because it's not done yet. We're still working through the process. But uh, last night, there were, I would say, something on the order of 125 people who came to express an opinion about an application for some apartments that are proposed to go in over near Blackwell and 50 Highway. Uh, And whenever we have had had these kinds of applications in the past, there has always been a lot of really heated rhetoric that gets spilled into our meetings and really sometimes derails the the process itself. And last night, we really did, I think, the, the neighbors did a really good job. The staff did a really good job. The applicant did a good job of listening and trying to respond and address a lot of the concerns on the front end. And, you know, I'm going to say the commission did a pretty good job, maybe with the exception of the chair. Uh, that's me. And... Did a good job, but we got through that process. We 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 had a good discussion, and it worked really well. So good on you, Lee Summit, and good on you, the the residents of East Lee Summit, for coming out,
0: participating, and making the process work well. You know, because either a I have no life, or b my awesome dedication to the people of Lee Summit. I watched last night. I turned on my LS TV. And I watched, and I'm going to say the exact same thing, Jason. They they did a good job of keeping it about the process, about the issue. For the most part, that that type of rhetoric that can derail things didn't really happen. And I want to say not only just, just coming out and participating, but participating early. Because most people don't think about going to planning commission. They think about it when it hits city council. And that's almost almost too late sometimes, really, to affect the process. So seeing them out early, out in numbers, that's a good thing for us to see because that's that's all we ask for most of the time is that people get in the know on the process and and, and take part.
1: Right, and it, and I think coming in early shapes the direction it goes, and so by the time it gets to the city council, you, you've hashed out a lot of those issues, and it really then becomes a little bit easier and better for the city council to do their work without having to – micromanage without having to micromanage, not just that they choose to micromanage or not, but that they have to micromanage because the details haven't really all been worked through. So it's a really good deal. And I'm just – I said it was a long, long meeting last night for – especially for a planning commission meeting. Yeah, it was short for city council. It was short for city council, but it was long for planning commission. And But in the end, I thought it was a really good process. And we'll have that application back up and there will be more about it. But it I
0: wanted to just – a little dab out there for everybody who participated and took part. I'm not going to ask you to respond on this because it's still ongoing, but I want to make one other comment. I think we ought to also say that a good job from the, the developer of the proposed project, when they did their presentation, it seemed to me that they had been paying attention to resident response and that they were taking note at least. So I think all around it was a good thing. Absolutely. I know you can't say more. Jason? We got coming up something this weekend. Tomorrow morning, it's the Booze, Barks and Badges Parade in downtown Lee Summit. It is that Saturday. Um, the there is
1: it's a, there's a costume contest and a parade, and then you can wander through the shops, the various and sundry shops, including some of our sponsors of this fine show. will have their budget store. blinds. We'll have their store open uh, for you to come and bring your uh, young costumed person and, and collect some candy and, and wander the streets of downtown. The costume contest starts at nine o'clock over by City Hall and then the parade itself will wander down Third Street uh, at 10 a.m. So do bring yourselves out there. There'll be lots of our local uh, law enforcement and public safety officers as well as uh, various and sundry folks in costume and, and honestly those those sort of coordinated family costumes always bring me a, bring a smile to me as we as I see the pictures of those every year. It's great.
0: It's almost election time, Jason. So Do we get to talk about weed this week? No. Oh, We're we gonna get to talk about weed! No. I am going to bring up two of everyone's favorite topics today as we prep everyone for the upcoming election, which we a week and a half now. Yeah. Judges and county charter amendments. You look seriously,
1: this is like the first week where like I've made the made the the weed joke. And, and it may be the first one of those where it might actually be the better one to talk about. And, yes, we will talk about the various marijuana ballot issues next week along with a couple. We'll make some comments about – we'll talk a little bit about some of the issues surrounding the, uh, the contested um,
0: partisan elections for candidates. Uh, so- that we will – but Jason, everyone gets, gets excited when we talk about county government. That's absolutely true. And I
1: can't tell you if there's one topic that people stop me in the streets and ask me about. It's judicial retention elections.
0: I'm sorry. I, I just <laughs> fell asleep again. Yeah,
1: because I said the words judicial retention elections, and I'm fairly certain that in our cultural thing, when I say words like that, it actually it does trigger, trigger a narcoleptic response.
0: <sighs> Look, you kind of rolled your eyes when I first asked you uh, about bringing this up on today's episode I think it's important. I think it's probably the thing on every time it hits a ballot that we all go to the polls. We know next to nothing about, and our care level is probably next to nothing as well. But it is an important part of our government. So I thought we'd just take take a little bit of little bit of time and and have you. Kind of hit this a little bit, and what people should be thinking about. Okay, so let's
1: first of all, we have to talk a little bit about how our judges are chosen. In Missouri, there are two ways, depending on the type type or location of the judge. Um, In much of the state, in almost I think all but six of the counties in Missouri, uh, judges, the trial judges, the county judges, as you think of them, are elected. So they run for office and all that. And as a lawyer, I find that kind of scary and spooky, and I don't like it, and that's where that is. However, Missouri has done uh, some good work on this. They created, and I mean this specifically in that this is called in the rest of the country the Missouri Plan, and they borrowed it to do that. So it's something that really did generate here. Uh, Judges in Platt, Cass, or I think it's Platt, Clay, Jackson, St. Louis County, St. Louis City, and Greene County um, which is Springfield, St. Louis, and the Kansas City metro area, basically, all do their trial judges and then all appellate judges, including the courts of appeals, the three courts of appeals, and the Supreme Court are appointed through a process. And I, the process is basically there are commissions that are put together and there are lawyers on them and then there are appointments by the governor on them and they make uh, and then the judges apply for the position when there's an opening, and then they run through, and then they suppl- they put a nominee or a slate of nominees, usually three nominees, to the governor, and then the governor makes a decision from those nominees. And it's designed to remove the partisan piece of the judge choosing. Now, as you can guess, because of the partisan alignments of the city or the counties in question and what have you, there is a certain – adjustment that, you know, there's some partisan stuff that's within it, but it's not direct candidate elections. And so it it removes the judges from the very get-go from the push and pull of partisan politics. Um, And that's a good thing. So then once they're appointed, then they come up every so often for retention. So for a retention election, I think after they're initially appointed that first year, they have to do one. And then it's every, I think it's, uh, six years and then 12 years for the appellate courts or something like it's a long time but they do have to come up for regular retention election um, so the hard question is so that's that's a cool thing so when we lee summit voters except for the few of that listen to us that live in the cass county part of, <laughs> of lee summit but when jackson county voters go to the polls uh on the on the sixth they're going to be faced with a slate of something on the order of 15 judges um, at, at the very base level, the associate circuit circuit, there's one appellate court and then two, uh, Missouri Supreme court nominees that will be on the ballot that you'll see. And they'll all have a, do you want to retain or not? And of course the question is, how do I know which judges are good?
0: Nick, how do you know which judges are good? I don't. I call my lawyer friends and I say, give me some tips. Right. And and so here's th- and I think that Which by the way, the fact that I say I trust a lawyer is frightening enough.
1: Well, to be fair, lawyers are the ones who actually interact with the judges on a regular day-to-day basis. So they, you know, their opinion at least has, you know, data behind it. But for instance, I, for when I was practicing law, was a bankruptcy judge, I appeared almost exclusively in the federal court. So I have No interactions with any of these judges except for maybe I've known them over the years through being a lawyer in in those circles. Knowing all of that, it's difficult for the layperson or the person who doesn't appear in the court to know how the judges do. So the Missouri Bar has set up a website. um, It's under yourmissourijudges.org, and we'll put the link to the Jackson County page in the show notes. There's work for Nick. Uh, has put forth a. They had a twenty-person committee to to sort of review the work of the judges and decide whether they meet or don't meet the quote-unquote overall judicial performance standards, which is going to mean things like being non-biased and you know making sure that you're doing fair application. That. Unshockingly, all of the judges are um, qualified and meet those those judicial performance standards from the Missouri Board. It's These guys and women don't get to be judges without being good lawyers and having a good respect and knowledge of the justice system and the judicial system. And unless they run off the rails, generally speaking, for the term that they're in there, they're going to continue to be solid judges. Not everybody's favorite. Everybody has a judge they don't like or they don't get along with or have you know have had a case go sideways with, but in general these judges are, are all good and all qualified and should be retained. Wow, we just got an opinion. You did, and I've got more, but I'll we'll go with those. So, <laughs> and and I like I said, some of these I actually know a little bit, and others I don't. Um, but they're they're. I have no evidence and I have heard no evidence from any source that any of these judges are just simply unqualified.
0: Well, I, 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 think, I think the thing that I, I would say people should take from this is that there is a resource available if you want to do a little bit of research. And that website is, say it again, Jason, yourmissourijudges.org. Okay. And we will put that up on our show notes. So you can go back and click on that link if you want to. And now we're going to move on, Jason, to the other uber super extra exciting topic Jackson County, Missouri government and seven proposed amendments to the county charter. Now, Jason, before we get in and we're going to, we, when we go through them individually, we'll go through them fairly quickly or as quickly as you allow yourself, because you are not known for being short true with your language. But I want to start off with kind of a 30,000 foot look at this from most I don't want to say most perspectives, but from the perspective of people that either pay a lot of attention or even casually pay attention to ca- county government, these amendments are a direct response to a little bit of tension between a portion of the county legislature and the county executive. Nick, gets, there is a you get the under the the under uh, what's that word? I've lost the word.
1: Basically, you you have totally underestimated the amount of tension that is there. I I, I undersell (laughs) Understatement.
0: The understatement of the podcast award (laughs) goes to Nick Parker for a little bit of tension. Look, there is a definite rift between County Executive Frank White and a majority group within the elected county legislators. These amendments... Are a direct response to that, or these proposed amendments. Now, Jason, I think what you and I want to talk about is the process as to how these amendments got on the ballot.
1: Right, but I think let's before we get to the process part, let's go ahead and and kind of quickly get through some of the the issues that are on there. And and I'll be honest, I you want another opinion, I'm not a huge fan of these ballot issues simply because I don't think that the questions as stated are particularly clear. Uh, as to what the changes are, and so it's a little bit hard to to gin that out. So we went through and read them, um, the actual language, proposed language changes to the charter itself, uh, and and I'm going to try to translate them into rough areas uh, of what's going on, and then we'll give you a little bit more on the backside. So there are um, there the questions will set some term limits for the county executive, the county uh, prosecutor, the county legislature, all that. So it sets term limits. Uh, All of those entities, all of the elected entities, uh, the prosecutor, the sheriff, the legislature, and the executive will all get a a slight bump in their pay. Um, The changes shift some of the authority to do things away from the executive. Um, There's, I think, a direct tie-in to the, the so some of the control over what happens at the county jail, who can fire the county counselor, some other things of that nature are, are directly involved with that. Um, the sheriff is given that direct supervisory authority over the county jail. Uh, the county prosecutor gets uh, authority over the ap- most of the application of the combat tax, um, which was something that popped up last year that there was a lot of fuss about. Uh, The legislature takes the power over hiring and firing the county counselor, um, which is something that's out there. Uh, There is a change to the requirements for who can be the county municipal judge, which I am quite certain none of us knew actually existed unless we've had a ticket from (laughs) the sheriff's office and had to go to the county municipal judge. Uh, so there's a requirement there that's input that they've had to have been a municipal judge for three years in the county, but at a city level, not the county level. And then the other one, the last one, uh, is that it disallows a an elected officer. Um, you cannot run for a county elected office if you currently hold. You cannot file. File to run. Right. You are ineligible to run, essentially, for co- a county elected position if you hold an elected position somewhere else. Um, So that's a pretty strong change. um, And it it even is so broad as to eliminate the capacity to serve out one term or resign a term and then start serving in the county legislature in a county position. So it's a little bit strong in all that. So those are the changes. You could sit down and make an argument for and against for many of them, uh, you know, where the appropriate balance of power lies between the executive, the legislature, the sheriff, the prosecutor, who gets to do what are questions that I'm not prepared to give you a, you know, a strong opinion on at this moment in time. But let's talk about the process because I think that really is will inform sort of the opinion that you're already hearing
0: me come forth with uh, about what to do with these charter amendments. Right. I think I think the better thing to look at is, is how did they these get here? And did it follow? This is a conversation, Jason, I'm going to start over. This is a conversation we just had right here in Lee Summit two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago now where there was a commission appointed. Citizens were on that commission. They reviewed the charter. They came through with suggestions of what what changes should or shouldn't be made to the amendment. They decided how to place them on the ballot and they were placed on the ballot. This process is different. This did not include any citizen input. Right. And so this
1: was purely driven by the legislature making a decision about the changes. And as a matter of fact, it was vetoed by the county executive. Right. And so the the changes were vetoed by the county executive. And to be fair, I I would expect the county executive to veto changes that reduced their power. I get it. Uh, But it's... It, it has not gone through. So on top of this, and so, you know, sort of going along parallel with this, is a plan put forth by the county executive and supported by some of the other members of the legislature to do a charter commission similar in structure to what was done uh, in Lee Summit. Um, and that would start in 2019. Um, and uh, executive Frank White said that he's going to do that regardless of the outcome
0: of the election. Right. So these amendments could pass. But the count, current county executive Frank White has said he's going to he's going to start the citizen process, either way. Right, and and I and you I think both have been pretty staunch in favor of
1: getting more input and getting people involved in the process and having that longer conversation. You can have it's it's going to be a little bit more thoughtful. It's going to be a little bit more. Um, well planned out, and there's gonna there's time for contemplation and and conversation and argument about which changes really are good or which ones are not great as we go through that. So I think that that is that's a good thing uh, to have out there. Um, you know, and I would be in favor of that process going forward and coming to a conclusion. And I would be far less skeptical of county changes, charter changes that came from that process than I am for the ones that just came out of the
0: legislature, essentially out of a political fight. And I think that's probably what we we all hope to avoid because I think that, you know, the, the optics there are when it comes when it comes out of the fight, you're not sure what what to trust. and you're not sure how reactionary and emotional those things are.
1: Right. And I, I will, and is
0: it good in the long run? And the parallel with Lee Summit is many of the changes
1: that were proposed and and, and ended up being adopted were put forward as a response to activity, political activity, and things that were going on at the city council and in the city government. But they took a year to hash out. They required a lot of public input. There were public hearings. There was conversation back and forth between the commission and the council. There were all those bits and pieces. So even though they were reactions to the way the governance was being done, I think the process gave them a better outcome than you might get from, you know, five members of the city council shoving charter changes down. I mean, they can't in in this city, thankfully, but shoving those charter changes out to the ballot like that. So, all right. Uh, we do not have an interview this week because I was on vacation and Nick decided not to do any work while I was gone. Ha ha,
0: I gotcha. you. You just called me lazy.
1: I did. I did. You are a bum. You're a bum, Nick
0: Parker. A bum. A good friend, but a bum. And I, I think this is a good time to point out And when we, when we come back in November, we'll have one more show in October, but when we come back in November, we'll start talking about uh, some changes to the format of the show and how we're going to do things a little bit differently to try to, uh, to try to keep better conversations on some of the issues facing our community. All right. Well, that is the end of our show. I wanted to thank everybody
1: who continues to listen to us, despite the fact that we keep making this podcast. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Budget Blinds and Julia Hampton CPA for sticking with us. I want to encourage you to get on our Facebook page and on the link to the summit website and interact and give us ideas on who we should talk to and what issues that you think are important that we should talk about. So with that, we'll bid you
0: a fond farewell and we'll see you next week. As always, today's episode is sponsored by our good friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit and Kansas City. Budget Blinds is an amazing community partner. They care about what goes on in
1: the com- community. I apologize. The uh, October, as it turns out, is safety month. Window covering safety month. And they want you to know how to operate and have safe Window coverings and other things for your child's safety
0: as they interact with the things in your house. You know what the the best thing that you can do to be safe? With your window coverings. Jason, is also the coolest thing you can do. Get the motorized window coverings and drapery. That's awesome. It's safe. And because they care about more than just window coverings and blinds, they've got a list of other things you can do too. Like Make sure if you've got kids around, bolt your furniture to the wall so the dressers don't tip over. Maybe use the safety plug covers. That's a good idea. Yeah, that does keep the knives and forks out of the safety, uh, out of the power
1: cords, and you know. Look, when you leave that out, the kids turn out like Nick and I, and when they don't, they turn out way better. So let's let's go with the covering those right.
0: There's probably a few things, Jason, they, that you shouldn't do.
1: Right. You should not leave uh, curling irons, straighteners, hair straighteners, and blow jars in children's wreaths. Because, honestly, children's fashion sense is terrible. And they shouldn't be allowed anywhere near that to try to pick out what their hair looks like. So let's just keep that stuff
0: away from them. Solid idea. Hey, think safety this month. And go visit our friends at Bunch of Blinds. Tell them Jason and Dick say Listening to Lee Summit Town Hall with hosts Jason Norberry and Nick Parker. Catch us every Wednesday at linkedtoleesummit.com or subscribe to Lee Summit Town Hall on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app.